Well, good morning, Alamo City family and our life streaming family out yonder, outside these walls. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bless you. It is a good day to be in the presence of the Lord's people, in the presence of the Lord. I want to invite those of you in the San Antonio area who, who just have had enough being by yourself on Sunday morning, and you'd like to come and be a part with uh, some other brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are here. We uh, mask up as we come in, um, and then once we get in here, we, if, you, if you want to, you can drop that mask. I would sure hate to try to preach with a mask on, now I'm telling you, so I... Uh, in the restaurants around town, it's what we're doing. So we're trusting the Lord to get us through this, to keep us safe, to bring us on the other side quickly, and, um, and we're trusting Him to do just that in His timing and His way. But until that happens, we're still able to be together. We're still able to sense the Lord's presence, even though we may not all be in the same room. Amen? So we're, we're grateful for that. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about a deep rest for a deep tire. You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe the hand of your heart would go up if I were to ask you the question, do you know what it is to experience a deep tire? It's the kind of tired that a good night's sleep doesn't necessarily help with, even if you can get a good night's sleep in the middle of it. You can change your routine. You could go someplace different. But even while you're there, you're, you're tired. Deep rest for a deep tired. I think that's what Jesus was talking about, who he was speaking to in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, who are weary, who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. There is a kind of rest that is tied to the freedom that Jesus brings to a heart that has the ability to set us free from a deep tire, to restore us, to replenish us, for those rivers of living water to begin to flow again. Deep rest for a deep tire. I want you to um, go with me to a couple of places in the Scripture where Jesus is dealing with the need for rest. The first one is in Matthew chapter 6, about verse 30. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. And here's what we find. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus... And they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. Now, a personnel manager, 
a task-oriented implementer would say perhaps to Jesus, Jesus, this is the apex of your influence. The word about you is spreading all over the place and so many people are coming to you. Why would you pull your men out of the thick of this amazing opportunity? To which Jesus would say, my men are tired. My men are tired. And the effect would be, unless they get some rest, unless they get a break, unless they get replenished, they won't be able to finish well the assignment that I've given them. Come away by yourselves and rest a while. You know, when we get tired, we get mad. Do I have a witness? You know. Some folks express weariness in different ways. Some folks get mad, short-tempered. Some folks can get discouraged and depressed even. So when Jesus makes the statement in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He knew what he was talking about. And he didn't just speak it for the ones that were physically present on that day. Because it's recorded in God's holy Bible, it's meant for us to know that's still his heart today. He knows when we're weary. And he understands the importance of bringing us to the other side of that weariness because he knows if we stay weary, we won't be able to run the race well. Even Jesus, now this is, this is in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5 and verse 15. But the news about him, the news about Jesus was spreading even further, and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and gathering to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. If it was important for Jesus to find the antidote for weariness, don't you reckon you and I need to understand what that is too? Getting tired, growing weary, is just a part of living. But as you, I'm sure, would agree, there is a good tired and there's a bad tired. The good kind of tired means you worked hard. Maybe you worked up a good sweat. There were long hours to completing the task. And when you got finished or you could take a break, you were able to go home, put your head on your pillow, and just go sound asleep and wake up the next morning ready to get after it again. Do I have a witness? You know, it's a good tire. To, Adam was told, you're going to make your living. You will survive by the sweat of your brow. That's been true for every century of the human race since the Garden of Eden. 
So there's something about it. And Jesus would talk about, the Old Testament will talk about blessing the work of our hands. So this is a different kind of tired than a good tired. This is a tired that sleep doesn't necessarily help and a change of scenery doesn't necessarily help. I want to suggest to you that it is a kind of tired, it is a deep tired that can come from one specific place. And I'm going to ask you to think through with me, listen through with me, and I pray that there'll be some places where maybe this will settle into your own heart and it can result in some great freedom today. It can result in a place of rest that maybe we just haven't had. A deep tired can, can come from a false sense of responsibility. Taking up the responsibility for an outcome that you can't guarantee, that you can't necessarily promise, but it's so important to you that you take on yourself a responsibility that God never intended you or I to fully embrace because it's impossible. And a human trying to do God work is destined to disappointment and failure, right? So I want to ask you to, to do some homework this morning. If, if, we're going to, if we're going to find a deep rest for a deep tired, here's the first step. Locate the leak. Locate the leak. Where's the weariness coming from? What is it that's wearing you out? Now, I'm not talking about, again, something that sleep can take care of. You know, we're, we're to work with, with our hands. We're to, we're to do the things that we do. I'm not, not talking about that kind, of, that kind of tired. I'm talking about the kind of tired that you can't get past, the tired that you can't shake, the tired that a good night's sleep doesn't necessarily help. What if what if it has its origination? What if the point of the leak is perhaps that you're endlessly trying to please or satisfy certain people? And about the time you come up with something, that you feel like is going to be the answer and they're going to love you and like you and appreciate you from here on in. And you pull that off and then it's not very long before it's as if you are still on the scale in their opinion. Still have a bar that you're still trying to jump over to prove that you've got what it takes for them to like you. The false responsibility of pleasing people. There is a, a measure. We don't want to be cruel. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be cutting. But only God. And sometimes seem, he seems to have a time with it. 
Only God has the ability to please people in the invisible parts of their hearts and the places where there have been needs that you had nothing to do with creating. False sense of responsibility that I've got to satisfy them somehow. I've got to please them somehow. And it works to deplete. And where so much so, at this deep tide is the kind of thing where we come to the conclusion, I don't know if I want to keep going this way. I don't want to know if I want to keep living this way. Jesus said, if anybody is weary, let all those who are weary and heavy laden, you send them to me and I will give them rest. Here's the key. Here is the key. You ready for the key to where this rest comes from? The meaning of the word is permission. You got permission from Jesus to quit feeling like you have to keep pleasing certain people and satisfying certain people all the time. Jesus says, here, here's his rest. I give you permission. I release you from bearing that false responsibility. We, we, we can keep on going down through some other categories of this. Some, some folks can fall prey to the superman syndrome or the superwoman syndrome where we feel like we have to do everything, have to be everything, have to conquer everything, have to solve everything on my own. And that's the key part of it. On my own, I have to be these things in this situation. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's professionally Maybe it's family, superman, superwoman, syndrome. Some part of your life where you can feel like the pressure is on you to do the miraculous. The pressure is on you to make it happen. The pressure is on you to keep it going. On you, on you. The, the truth of the matter is, we don't even know whether we're going to have another breath, whether we're going to have another beat of a heart, let alone that we are going to be able to determine the outcome of a relationship or the outcome of a business or the outcome even of this country six months from now. The bondage of false responsibility. I'm telling you folks, there is some incredibly good news headed your direction this morning. If you are finding yourself worn out and at the core of what you're being worn out from is responsibility, pressure to fulfill a responsibility that you know you don't have on your own. But guess what? Somebody does have what it takes. Somebody who loves you, somebody who has bought you with his own blood, somebody who has sent his spirit to live inside you. He has what it takes. But the 
point comes, the point of freedom comes when we realize the Lord has given to me, has given to you permission to lay down false responsibility and to accept, to own what I can do, what I am able to do, which in many cases isn't much. But it's that we come to the place of realizing he is God and I am not. I am me and that's all I am. But I do believe that what the Apostle Paul wrote all those years ago, I can do all things. You, got it. you can't stop there. You can't stop there, but that's as we'll point out here. That's where some of us do. I can do all things how? Through the one, through the one, through the one who is giving me strength. Not who gave me strength or who will give me some more, but who is habitually, continuously, as I need the strength, he's given it to me. Folks, when it shifts in your heart and your mind that no matter where you work, no matter what your assignment is, no matter what the predicament that life has brought to you, it is not your responsibility single-handedly to get yourself out of that mess or to bring the solution because there's one who says, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. Part of the reason that we get to feeling so exhausted is because we can feel so absolutely alone in the setting. There may be people around us, but that can be one of the most lonely places on the planet when you're in the middle of a thousand people or a hundred people or a dozen people and they're all looking at you. Solve our problem. Answer our questions. Fix our message. Deep rest for a deep tired can come when into your heart, into your mind, there is the settled realization, I am not responsible before God for the things that I can't do. But there is one who will come alongside me. There is one who knows my name, knows my location, knows my situation, and he has promised not to leave me as an orphan. An orphan spirit can harass and try to attach itself to people, God's people, loving people, godly people in so many ways. But that sense that I'm completely alone can be an extremely exhausting thing because you keep trying to dredge it up from within and there's nothing there. So here's, here's what I want us to do. I want you to just jot two or three things down as we talk about this. Deep rest for a deep tired. The number one place is to so start at this place, locate the leak. Locate the leak. 
find out, identify, state it. What here, here is the place that exhausts me the most. And then as you identify that as a place, more than likely, of false responsibility. The second part of it is find Jesus. Find Jesus. And as you find Jesus, you bring whatever that leak is into his presence. And what will happen in his presence is he gives you permission to lay it down. You say, Pastor, that, 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 just, that sounds like something a preacher would say. Go find Jesus. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like something about a preacher would say. Well, I'm going to tell you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, let's just find that real quick. Since you brought it up, by the way. Jeremiah chapter 29. Look, look at this. This is verse 11. The Lord speaking. Jeremiah 29. 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. The Lord promising that if we're searching for him with all our hearts, he will make his presence known to us. Paul would be able to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, everybody abandoned me. Nobody was there at the time of my greatest trial. Then he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and established through me the completion of the work that he had given me to do. Some way or another, folks, if it is in your heart to want to sense the presence of the Lord Jesus, not talking about God in general, but the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth in particular, he will respond to a searching heart. He will respond to an orphaned heart. Lord Jesus, I need to know your presence. I need to know your presence. I'm going to give you another one that, that just, it just gets me every time I read it. If I turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Simon Peter, filled with the Spirit, no longer a coward. He's a champion now on fire. And one of the things that he says, he quotes the Psalms. This is in Acts chapter 2, verse 25. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Now who was David? Did David, was he Reverend David? Was he Dr. David? Was he seminary professor David? Was he Bible college? No. He was a king. He was a head of state. He was a commander of armies. He, he was an administrator. He was a builder. He built walled cities and fortifications. He, he, there wasn't anything about him in the exterior part of his life that would say preacher, super spiritual, but there was everything about what was working in his heart. A man after God's own heart. The scripture would say, I found a man 
after my own heart. Well, what was he? He wasn't standing behind a pulpit every week. He was doing what many of you do, men and women in, the, in, in God's world, operating in, in, in culture and operating in commerce and, and, and doing the things that you would do educationally, professionally. David is saying, I was always, Beholding the Lord, I was always aware of the Lord's presence in my presence. <laughs> I didn't have to go to heaven to sense his presence. He showed up where I was. And the reason that I wasn't shaken is because of the reality of his presence. Though he would be surrounded by enemies, though he would have all kinds of turmoil within I wasn't shaken because I sensed the Lord's presence in my presence. My brothers and my sisters, that was before Pentecost. That was way back yonder before the cross. That was in the old covenant. If it was true of David then, how much more should it be true for us today? But here's what we do. We have these secular assignments. We have these, these outside of the church, rest of my life world away from the church that I'm involved in, but somehow I can draw the conclusion, Jesus is not going to go with me past the pages of this Bible. So when I go to work and I can't have a Bible open, I must have left Jesus somewhere back in the background. Or, or he's, he, he's, I leave him in the worship center. When it drops 18 inches, folks, and I'm telling you, this will radically revolutionize the sense of confidence in your life and the sense of, of perspective and the sense of great rest when you realize that there is no place you'll ever be that the living Jesus is not right there, not just with you, but guess what? He's in you. Christ, the anointed one, in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. False responsibility saps the life out of us because we feel that we're in a place where we can't produce all that is needed. We can't accomplish everything that is required. But when it settles in on us, that wait a minute, I am where I am because the Lord put me where I am. I'm I'm called to this place. I, I, I get, you know, it's sad to me. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I just, I just feel like my life would have been better if I'd been called to be a preacher, if I'd been called to work on a church staff, I've been called to be a missionary somewhere. Thank the Lord every day, child, that he didn't call you to do such things. If he's called you, do it. But where he has put you, he has called you. You, you are called in the places of, of involvement and employment in the world. Jesus said, we're not supposed to keep this light under a bushel. We're not supposed to keep all the salt in the shaker. It is the design of heaven that he sends his missionaries of light out into dark places. And David understood that. And what he said was, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, secular, political, cultural, international settings, 
I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. And as a result of that, the enemy couldn't shake me. As a result of that, the old weakness of my own flesh couldn't shake me and cause me to check out. And he would go on to say, and it's the joy of the Lord. That's my, well, actually, Nehemiah said that. But David, David would come back to say that in his presence, in his presence, that's where I needed to be, in the Lord's presence is fullness of joy. So instead of being worn out in the task that the Lord had given him, he understood that where he was, the Lord was. And that where the Lord was, there's plenty. There's plenty of resources. There's plenty of wisdom. There's plenty of knowledge. There's plenty of energy. There's plenty of the ability to complete a task. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Where I'm going with that, folks, is if you have somewhere in some category of your life adopted false responsibility, that somehow it is all up to you to produce. It's all up to you to bring an effect. Great peace can come when to realize that that is not how you need to live. There is another option. There is another option, and we, we get to that. You locate the leak, and then you find Jesus and stay there. But I work. I work outside the church. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. You stay there. You stay with the sense of the presence of Jesus as you sit at your desk. You, you thank him and bless him and talk to him about everything that comes across your emails and across your texts. Just keep giving them all to him. You hadn't left him in the worship center. You can't contain him in the pages of your Bible. He's not just stuck in Christian radio or praise song. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Lord, will you open my eyes to your presence in this job? Will you open my eyes to your presence in this shop? Will you open my eyes to your presence, Lord, in this place, in this setting? Because you've said that if I will come to you, weary, heavy laden, you would give me rest. So, so what, what is the rest? The rest is the permission to lay down false responsibility. It, it's, as, it, it's as vivid, it can be as vivid in your spirit as walking out of a cold room into a hot room. That's pretty vivid for us these days. But as vivid as realizing that the Lord knows I can't do this. God knows I can't solve people's questions and answers and situations. God knows that I can't be there every time as my child grows up and they face a temptation or they face a challenge that I'm going to be able to be there to fight that temptation off. Folks, that's, that's one of the things about that, that parenting can just exhaust the life right out of a parent is that if you accept the false responsibility that you are responsible for all of the choices of your children forever. You're not. We are responsible for the things that we can do and the choices that we can make, but God is responsible for the things we can't do. They're His children. Now, I've got to tell you a story. This, this, is a, this is a true story. 
I found myself several years ago getting mad in the pulpit as I would be trying to preach. I would feel this, and I called it righteous indignation. I called it preaching against sin. You know, all the things that preachers come up with to justify the fact that they're just mad and angry. But you, got, you grow up, you, you're trained in scriptures so you can just get all this minor prophet, major prophet stuff going on. And, you know, you, you're an Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, John the ball dumped into one, just blowing up. My wife, help me, Shirley, would gently but directly come to me. I'd come home, and I'd, I was wanting somebody to say something nice about something that had been said. Came a place where she said, I need to talk to you. She said, I feel like I got beaten up this morning. I felt like you were mad, and I felt like you just beat me up. Well, the last person in the world, there might have been somebody in here I might have wanted to beat up, but there wasn't Shirley, you know. The last person in the world I'd want to say that would have been her. She said it just it sounded so harsh. It just, it just, it just sounded, didn't hear any love. It just, it was, to which my response was, I'm just, I'm just preaching righteousness. I'm just preaching against sin, and I'm just calling the spade a spade, or however those, you know, all those sayings can go, calling it clear. But I knew something wasn't right in here. You look under the hood, and you're trying to find what it is in the motor that isn't right, and I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know how to answer her. But I did sense that the Lord was trying to tell me something. When, when your wife or your husband leans into you about something as significant as that, that it, that it hurt them, you better listen. If they're saying it and they're saying it, and maybe they've said it so long that they just quit saying it, but nothing has changed inside you, check it. Check, Lord, what are they saying? What are they trying to say? So I, I, there were two or three other. I, I put the request out to a few others in the church. If you hear something, I want you to tell me. If you, if, if you sense something, I want to know it. If, if, you, if, if there's something in the scripture that the Lord would give to you that you want to say to me, I, I want to hear it. A little bit of time passed, and a dear sister in the church, trusted, godly sister in the church, sent me the message, a message saying, Pastor, I, I just feel like there, here's a verse that, that the Lord would want me to share with you. That's how she put it. She didn't come in with this, thus saith the Lord, and, you know, and, and put me already on the defensive. She just said, here's something that I feel like you need to put before the Lord. It was a verse out of Isaiah. and The gist of the verse says, you have believed a lie. You have believed a lie. And it goes on to talk about, the, regarding the people and the priests, what, what happens as they have followed a lie. I began to ask the Lord, Lord, is there a lie that I've been believing? 
Help me. I don't see it. What, what is the lie? If there is one, show me, please. A little bit of time passed, and I came to be specifically convinced. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was in a way that, that is, 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 is clear to me today as it, as it was then. It was as if the Lord was saying to me, you have believed the lie that I am holding you responsible for how the people in the church turn out. I've got this responsibility quotient that works inside me. If you're swinging a nine iron and you love to play golf, the devil's not going to come at you with a Wilson tennis racket or a head tennis racket. He'll step into your life, into your world with the sport that you're playing, with the avenue that you're in, and he, and he has a way of making it seem like this is God. He can quote scripture. He knows all the songs. He knows all the rituals. He knows all the themes and so forth. And so what it turned out was I had come to be convinced and was living it out. And the result was anger and a lack of love flowing out of my heart. I had come to be convinced that the Lord was holding me responsible for, if, for how marriages would work, whether runaway kids would come back, whether men were behaving, whether, whether women were being as they needed to be. And this sense of responsibility, that was false responsibility. And so the result was, I started choking, and I didn't realize that's what I was doing. But as I would preach, it, it, I, was just, I was just wrapping my, my hands around the, the throats of people. You, you need to change. You need to be careful. You need to quit. It was fear, and it was condemnation, and it was just a, an anger because I didn't want to be in trouble with the Lord, so I had to fuss at you. Now, I know you all are being real quiet. But I'm just wondering if anybody as a parent, if anybody in any setting could perhaps think that that could be a part of why you can go off so easy on stuff. And why there can be such a hard, unbending, this is the way it is. Instead of realizing only God can change a heart. Only God knows the end from the beginning. Only Jesus, by his spirit, is able to work a change of freedom in the hearts of people. And I got to tell you, when that, when that dropped into my spirit, it was like a 5,000-pound weight was lifted off of this pastor-preacher's heart. It may not sound like a big deal to you, but it was huge to me. It was a heaven shaft of light. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Even if 60 families divorce, if, even if all this happens and all that happens, I do not stand before my God guilty because he knows I can't contain people. I can't change people. I can't make them into something. You know what happened? When that lifted off of my heart, that this is God's responsibility to care for people, I started having slack in my rope to be sweeter from the pulpit and being nicer to folks and realizing that, that you know, you're going to have some knuckleheads and they're going to marry some knuckleheads and the knucklehead wedding is going to have knucklehead kids and they're going to get off into knuckleheaded stuff. But the good news is 
I'm not responsible for the knuckleheadedness. I'm responsible for loving them, pointing them to Jesus, encouraging them that the blood is, is, is plenteous in its power, and the power of the Spirit can change a life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The weariness of being a pastor, the deep tire that a good night's sleep wouldn't, wouldn't do, that lifting of the shaft of light, of the breaking the power of false responsibility caused me to be able to say, and I say it to everybody I run into, ask the question, my favorite day of the week is Sunday. The greatest joy that I know that the Lord has given me in, in, in life, other than my family, other than my, is, is the privilege it's the joy, it's the blessing of being able to open this word up and talk to folks about, about how the word is true and the love of Jesus is real and the power of the Spirit can set the captives free. But I'm going to tell you, until that dropped, as we say, that 18 inches, false responsibility for a parent over their children for a husband over a wife, or a wife over a husband, the false responsibility of thinking that I'm supposed to be able to change them. I'm supposed to affect the difference. I'm supposed to produce an outcome. It will wear you out, make you mad, make you mean, and perhaps have even the ability to just want to quit on a marriage because you didn't see the change you thought you had to have. Quit on the ministry. Quit on whatever. A deep tired is only satisfied by the deep rest that Jesus can give. You got permission to let them off the mat. You got the permission to get your hands off of their neck. You got the permission to not have to be monitoring the progress toward your desired end. Amen. You know. So where, what's wearing you out? Okay, if you take it into business, you take it out of the marriage, out of the ministry, into, into business, three, three, three powerful biblical characters. They were all businessmen. But, but they were unbelievable in their spiritual influence and their impact. David is one. Joseph is another. Daniel is another. That there are whole sections of Scripture that are attributed to these men, and, and they were secular in their assignment. But here, here's, what, here's what happens. It is when you realize that your place of secular involvement and employment is, 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 is a calling. It's a calling. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. When he falls, he'll not be cast headlong because the Lord is the one who takes his hand. Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what good works means? It means profitable. It means useful. It means practical. It means good, and it means benevolent, but it also means practical. Profitable, useful, beautiful, good. You, there, are, there are things that the Lord 
has designed for you in business that he created for you to participate in before you were ever born. Good works prepared in Christ that we should walk in them. So, so for there to be this, 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 this breaking into a fuller understanding, if you step into those places of God's assignment without God's help, it will wear you out and frustrate you and keep you exhausted. But if, on the other hand, you're realizing, wait a minute, I didn't come up with this. I could have been someplace else. This door opened and other doors closed, but I am where I am, and I'm here because my God has put me here. And if my God has put me here, he's going to enable me to do what honors him and what will be a blessing to his name through what I do. David, always beholding the Lord's presence. Daniel, moving through a series of pagan rulers. But there was such an anointing upon his life, such an ability to, to interpret dreams, yes, but he had an administrative capability. He had the ability to work through with people. Joseph, God gave him the ability to see what was coming and to set up storehouses so that Egypt would not only be satisfied, be fed during the seven years of famine, they would prosper. Both. Joseph wasn't by himself, though he was in a foreign land. He was right where God had put him, right where God had called him, and God was giving him the ability to do what he needed to do. I just want to say to you that if there is, if there is a place of weariness, and it is the place of work, or whatever it would be, wherever you locate the leak, the sense of false responsibility that is a bondage, that is a constriction, that is even a poison that can affect your whole life is to, is to take one step into the fulfillment of the responsibility God's given you and do it on your own. Notice, I want you to look at what David said in Psalm 37, just quickly. You, this is a familiar passage, Psalm 37. Right toward the end of his life, he wrote these words. Trust in the Lord, lean on. Rely on the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you. And I want you to notice how David puts it. You delight yourself in the Lord and, and you come up with stuff to do and, and maybe good things will come. He will talk about how the, Lord, the Lord's heart is to give and the hand of the Lord is in the direction of wanting to bless and to give. So he says, you delight yourself in the Lord, and here's what the Lord will do. He will give you the desires of your heart. You're not going to have to go chasing the desires of your heart. The Lord will bring the desires of your heart to you, to you. Now he continues, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will do it, and he will bring forth your righteousness, your vindication, as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. What's he saying? You rest in the Lord and you wait for God to do what only God can do. Don't you be running off trying to do God work in your strength. Instead of doing that, you wait. 
You hunker down, camp out, you wait until the Lord who is able to do miraculous kinds of works in the hearts of people and the affairs of men and nations. You wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. In the meantime, you just stay right where you are. You keep delighting yourself in the Lord. But then above that, he will say, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. The word commit means to roll over onto. Roll over onto the Lord. And as you roll over onto the Lord, the way of your life, all of the things that you are step, taking steps into, you, you walk away. You're taking steps. It's the cumu accumulation of the steps in a man or woman's life. Commit your way. Roll over your way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. Rely on Him. Lean on him. And then he says, and he will do it. He'll do what? He'll do what you committed to him. Folks, there's something that will blow your hat in the creek when you realize that God is waiting to do work for us. Not just things in us and through us, but there are things that he desires to do that you know when he does it that it was God and God alone that did that. That he came out of heaven and he solved that personnel problem. He came out of heaven and he provided that need. He came out of heaven and he fixed this or opened that door. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. So what that means is if the Lord doesn't seem to be doing much, maybe it's because we hadn't been committing much. We hadn't been rolling over to him and wondering, God, where are you? God, where are you? But we're bearing up under this false responsibility that it's my deal. I've got I've to do all this on my own. When David would say, my friend, you, you roll your way. All the big pieces, all the little pieces of all the parts of your life, you roll them on onto on the Lord. And you lean on him as you do that. You rely on him. And then here's the promise. David would say, here's my promise to you. Here's what he'll do. He'll do it. He'll do it. The Lord will do it. The Lord will do what you committed to him. Certainly there'll be steps. Certainly there'll be parts that we participate in. But what if there's this whole massive section of the things that are wearing us out that God just wants to do for you? He wants to fix it. But the trigger, the trigger is my rolling over onto him. And then not rolling it over and then taking it back, but I'm trusting him, I'm leaning on him, it says that he will do it. Locate the leak, find Jesus, and stay there. You, you, you may be working in a place or being in, be involved in something that, that is the leak in your life. But just because it's not the church building doesn't mean that Jesus and all of his glory and power and magnificence and wisdom and knowledge and might isn't there too. You are his partner. We'll touch on that in just a moment. Locate the leak. Find Jesus and stay there. Unload your responsibility. Unload your responsibility. That sense of your responsibility that it's all up to you. Unload it. Unload it. He gives you permission to dump it, to drop it, to walk away from it. 
and, and, and where there would be folks breathing on you, tell us what to do or, or, or solve our problems or, or you got to do this for me. Well, there's just a sense in your heart you, you, that this light shines. I'm living under false responsibility. I'm teaching them something wrong. They're dependent on man. They need to be looking up to God. I'm out of here. I'm not doing that anymore. So you, so, so you, you, know, you, you step into that, in, into that place of, of, of unloading the responsibility, bearing up under false responsibility. Jesus gives you permission to drop it. But then notice this. I'm going to finish here. Take up the yoke. Locate the leak. Find Jesus and stay there. Unload your responsibility. Take up his yoke. Look, look, look again at, at, at Matthew chapter 11. We're about done. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you. It's a choice. It's, it's, it's a decision we have to make. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm humble, I'm, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. This is about ongoing rest. This is the continued place of rest. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Here is one way to look at that, the yoke of Jesus, taking up the yoke of Jesus. You remember the image, ancient image, two oxen linked together by a wooden yoke and leather undergirdings, if not, if not wooden themselves. Jesus is saying here, I offer you my yoke. It's not a one-man yoke. It's a two-man yoke, a two-person yoke. I'm in one side of the yoke. You're in the other side of the yoke. What could he be saying? Here's one piece of it, perhaps. You step into this yoke with me. I'll handle the invisible. You walk out the physical. I won't be necessarily where you can see me, but I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I hold the keys of David. I open and no one can close. I close and no one can open. And I've set before you an open door which no man can close because you have little power. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. In effect, you'll have to walk through this open door. But the door has been opened because I have the authority to open doors in the natural, open doors in the material, open doors in the physical. Are y'all hearing that? You, you link up with me. You walk out the physical. I'll take care of the invisible and the spiritual. Now, there's no mistake that Jesus would say in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And on the basis of that, you go and make disciples, followers of me, as I open the doors as I send you. But I want to give you just something else to think about. This is in Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy chapter 28. What if this in the New Testament is at least in part intended to be understood in terms of the yoke with Jesus? Jesus exalted to the right hand of the Father, all authority given back to him, but we're still down here on this earth needing his help, needing doors of opportunity open, needing to have problems solved that only he can solve. But let me just read this. Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings, shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and they shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. As he swore to you, if you will if you'll keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your beast, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. And you only shall be above and you shall not be underneath if you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully. And do not turn aside from any words which I command you to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve Folks, what if that is the heart of Jesus linked up with you in your place of business, in your place of earthly responsibility and assignment? You walk out the natural steps, but linked up to Jesus who holds the key of David, who has all authority, who can command the blessing upon you. Folks, I'm going to tell you, You can walk back into a situation and a setting that has worn you out. If you walk back into it or you stay in it with the realization, this is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to stand here and to be for the Lord what he's called me to be, but it is not my responsibility to do or even attempt to do the things that only he can do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. I'm going to be leaning on him, trusting in him, 
delighting in him. Amen. I just, you see, folks, it isn't that we're supposed to quit and go find another job necessarily. It's not that we're supposed to quit a marriage and run off and try to find somebody else better. If we don't get this stuff straightened out about where we have leaks, it'll show up again. It'll show up again. It'll show up again. But when there is the realization to my heart, I refuse to accept as my own responsibility that is not mine. I put that on the Lord. I give that to the Lord. I'll take the next step. I'll do what he gives me to do. But I'm trusting him. And it's amazing how. See, that's that whole deal. Come to me all who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Remember the word for rest means permission. I'll give you permission to lay down false responsibility. Responsibility defined in terms that I never intended for you to have to feel the pressure of. Does that make sense? Does that do something in your heart? I hope so. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you for the refreshment that you even now are bringing. I thank you for the way that you're going to use your word to set us free from some lies that we've been believing and to accept with gratitude that you've never expected us to be gods. You have just expected us to be sinners saved by grace, filled with your spirit, looking to you as the author and finisher of our faith. Pray that my brothers and sisters would begin to know again, even in the places of exhaustion, the places of great weariness, the places of deep tired, I pray that they would begin to know again, even in those places, freedom, refreshment, hope, rest, joy, and that your love, your kindness, your mercy will begin to flow out of them in a in a in an unfettered flow of your river, the river of your spirit through their lives to ones that maybe before they've had a hard time being kind to or feeling kindness toward because of the false responsibility that we've shouldered, that we've embraced, that it's my job to change them. Lord, help us to hold the standards that we're supposed to, uh, supposed to hold. But when the, the, the ultimate change of people can only be done by you. And may we rest in that place of handing that over to you. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen. 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 Well, God bless you for being a part of the life streaming here from Alamo City. And thank you again for all of your help, your support financially. It enables us to do what we do week by week to get the broadcast literally around the world. You've been so faithful. We pray the Lord will multiply what you have done, what you have given back upon your heads many, many fold. All right, folks, we're getting closer to where we're going to be able to get up and hug each other's neck. We're not quite there yet, not quite there yet, but we can nod warmly at each other, right, as we leave and speak a word of blessing. God bless you. Thank you for being a part with us today. <laughs>